Issues Etc. listeners are needed to vote for president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Every LCMS congregation has the right to vote through a pastoral and a lay voter, two voters per congregation or parish. Voter registration must be completed by midnight central on March 19th of 2023. Request to be a voter at your congregation for president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Learn more at issuesetc.org 2023 nominations. The commandment itself is simple. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. But that leaves a couple questions unanswered. Why should we not misuse God's name? Why does God command us not to misuse it? That implies that there is a right use for God's name as well. And what is that name? Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Joining us to talk about the name of God and the Second Commandment, Dr. Charles Geeshan. He's provost and professor of New Testament at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, author of an essay in Luther's Large Catechism with Annotations and Contemporary Applications. It's titled The Second Commandment and the Divine Name. Dr. Geeshan, welcome back. Great to be with you once again. What is God's personal name that he revealed in Scripture? Well, you know, one of the things that I think is important to realize is that we typically don't hear God's name pronounced. And some Christians don't even, aren't even aware of it and, and don't pronounce God's personal name. But God's personal name in the Old Testament is Yahweh. And I pronounce it because there's no prohibition in the scriptures against actually pronouncing God's name. Some Christians choose not to pronounce it and just use the title Lord. And obviously, pious Jews never pronounce uh, God's name because of their own practices that date all the way back to the second century BC. So you say that many Christians are not aware. Why do you think they're unaware of God's personal name? Well, because uh, in English translations, we follow that basic convention of rendering it with a title, Lord, oftentimes in all caps, you know, so there's a, a differentiation in, in the font when you have the Hebrew personal name of God used, Yahweh, versus the title, Lord, which is in Hebrew, Adonai. In the English text, it'll have Lord in all caps when it's the divine name. So we are used to as Christians, when we read the scripture, we're used to seeing the title Lord, but not the personal name Yahweh. And so just the fact, unless you're familiar with that convention and unless you're familiar with the Hebrew underlying the personal name of God, then you just think that there is typically a title for God, not a personal name. Everyone and everything else except God have their names given to them in some manner. What does it mean that we do not name God, but he reveals his name to us? Well, I think it's uh, the fact that he has a very mysterious name, namely, he explains it once with Moses. It's a very famous incident in Exodus 3.14, where he explains his name, his personal name, as in English, we translate it I am who I am. And that particular phrase in Hebrew 
Eya Asher Eha, one could say it means a little bit more than I exist. I am who I am. It's more of I am the one who is present and accessible. Uh, and, and that has led to a lot of intrigue and mystery because uh, like some of our names have some specific meaning behind them. The name Yahweh has always had a bit of mystery behind it. And I think that the fact that God gives himself or reveals that he has a personal name really is helpful in the sense of there's a lot of things that uh, people refer to as gods. But God is a living personal being, the triune God, and he has shown himself to have a personal name and a very unique name. There are many, many titles that are used for God in the Old Testament and the New Testament, but there's only one personal name, and that's the, the, the divine name, Yahweh. You say that the true God and his name cannot be separated. What do you mean by that? Yeah, in the article I mentioned this, you know, we think of a, a, a name as a word. And, you know, there are many people that have the name Charles, like I have. <laughs> and people think of that just as a word. They don't always think of it as a person. You know, when I hear the name Charles, I think of myself. <laughs> and one can say that's all the more significant, that relationship between the personal name and the being with the name Yahweh and the unique being, the divine being, God himself. And so when I say they can't be separated, God emphasizes that where his name is, there he is. So it's not just a matter of a word, but his name is connected with his presence. And that's great background for all of these passages in Scripture. Call upon the name of the Lord, and where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am. Because it's emphasizing that this name isn't just sort of an abstract reality floating around, but it is intimately connected, not separate from the being itself. So when one knows this name, one knows the God whose name that is. And when one calls upon that name, one is united with the presence of that God. So how is I am that we encounter there in the Exodus account of the burning bush, how is that an explanation of God's name? Well, quite often, as you know, Christians think of that as the divine name. But the personal name that's used is Yahweh. It's frequent. Most of us are especially familiar with the phrase hallelujah uh, from the Psalter, which means praise to Yahweh. Hallelujah being the offering praise to Yahweh. And I think that the fact in Exodus, you have this explanation. You can see how the phrase I am who I am as an explanation of the divine name has almost taken on that significance of being a name in and of itself. But I think the key thing we see in Exodus as well as in Isaiah and especially in our Lord Jesus's use of the, the phrase, I am. We think of uh, the Gospel of John and many times Jesus says, I am 
the gate, or I am the, the way, the truth, and the life. But there are other times where he simply says, I am. The most famous is obviously John eight fifty nine, where you have, before Abraham was, I am. And that usage uh, is, uh, one might say, an example from its Old Testament usage, is how Jesus is revealing himself to be Yahweh. And the phrase, I am in the Old Testament, as well as I am in Jesus' usage, is a self-disclosure formula. It's a way in which Jesus is identifying himself as Yahweh without pronouncing the divine name. How is God's name connected to his presence? Well, as we just were talking about a minute ago, the name is not just a, a word. God's personal name is not just a word. It's something that's joined to his being. And we follow the Bible passages that really emphasize the fact that where God's name is, there he is present. For example, in the Old Testament, the personal being of God is sometimes referred to as the name of the Lord. I think actually it's it's very connected to a, a text like Exodus 23:20, where when God speaks about the unique messenger called the angel of the Lord who would go with Israel and protect them and discipline him, he says, my name will be in him. So that angel, that messenger, uh, who I would identify as the pre-incarnate son, shares the very name of God himself. Thus, he shares in the very being of God. And so where God's name is, that's his personal presence. And so we, we shouldn't think of the name as a, just an abstract word. We should think of it as closely connected to his presence. So when you have this language of, as Lutherans, we think of the presence of God in the divine service as sort of kicking into high gear when we get to the service of um, Holy Communion. And I like to emphasize, uh, when we're talking about the divine name, it really connects into high gear the moment we speak the invocation, because we're calling on the name of the Lord, and where his name is called upon, invoked, there he is. You mentioned before that pious Jews often avoid pronouncing God's personal name. Why is that? Yeah, it's a very ancient practice. The best historical reconstruction we can follow is that around the second century BC, when there was more of the influx of Hellenization, which means Greek language and culture being brought into the land of that we know of as Israel, namely Judea and Galilee, that Jews sought to protect the misuse of God's name by no longer pronouncing it. Now, it continued to be pronounced by the high priest in the temple, but regular pious Jews stopped pronouncing the name. So about the second century BC, and that continues at the time of Jesus and certainly with modern Orthodox Jews. As you read the scriptures in Hebrew, you would substitute either Adonai or Hashem, Adonai Lord, or Hashem the name, when you come across the divine name in the scriptures. Or if you're just speaking about he who is Yahweh, you would use a substitute like Adonai or Hashem, Lord 
or and again i think it's it was a pious effort to control the misuse of god's name uh, i sometimes liken it to uh, the roman catholics no longer offering the cup as a way of possibly spilling it or something like that but there's nothing in scripture that says we cannot pronounce the divine name there is a greek rendering of the hebrew text about about cursing god's name that renders it not pronouncing god's name so it shows that already when the greek translation of leviticus was being done that already then there was this effort of not pronouncing god's name as a way of protecting it from abuse almost not being able to speak it so you wouldn't abuse it we're talking with dr charles gieshen about the name of god and the second commandment he's provost and professor of new testament at concordia theological seminary fort wayne indiana and author of an essay in luther's large catechism with annotations and contemporary applications dr gieshen's chapter is titled the second commandment and the divine name find out more about this new resource at the Talk On Demand archives page at issuesetc.org or by calling Concordia Publishing House 1-800-325-3040. When we come back, do we find God's name in the New Testament? Hey everyone, I'm so excited to come out to the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, it's going to be a blast. Kyle Mann of the Babylon Bee. I'm going to be giving a presentation called Making the Case Against Cancel Culture, where I talk about how we write comedy and how Christians need to use art and writing and all of that wonderful stuff to fight against cancel culture and how we have to take a bold stand for the truth using the creative talents that God has given us. It's going to be a great time, and I'm so excited to come out and see everybody, meet everybody, and, uh, and talk a little bit about how we write satire and use that to communicate God's truth. You can meet and hear Kyle Mann of the Babylon Bee at the 2023 Issues Etc. Making the Case Conference, Friday, June 16th and Saturday, June 17th at Concordia University, Chicago. Learn more at issuesetc.org or by giving us a call 618-223-8385. Making the Case, June 16th and 17th in River Forest, Illinois. Did you know that Luther Academy has been providing continuing education for confessional Lutheran pastors and laypeople worldwide for more than 20 years? Luther Academy publishes Logia, the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatic Series, and Luther Digest. Find out more about Luther Academy and sign up to receive their free email newsletter at lutheracademy.com. lutheracademy.com and like them on Facebook, facebook.com slash lutheracademy. When Jesus walked with his disciples to Emmaus, they had lost hope. But he opened the scriptures, broke bread, and gave it to them, and they knew him. At Emmaus Lutheran Church in Redmond, Oregon, Jesus repeats this miracle every Sunday. He makes himself known among us in preaching and the sacrament of his body and turns our sorrow to joy. Join us for divine service Sundays at 9 and visit our website, www.emmauslcms.org. Expert guests, expansive topics, extolling Christ. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Augustana Lutheran, Moscow, Idaho. Concordia Lutheran, Jackson, Tennessee. Holy Cross Lutheran, Albany, Oregon. Hope Lutheran, Sonora, Texas. Mount Olive Lutheran, Madison, Wisconsin. 
Our Savior Lutheran, Louisville, Kentucky, Redeemer Lutheran, Nashville, Tennessee, St. John Lutheran, Racine, Wisconsin, St. Paul Lutheran, Munster, Indiana, Trinity Lutheran, Tryon, North Carolina, and Mount Olive Lutheran, Billings, Montana. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support, Donate, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. For your next family vacation, consider Our Beach House, a charming three-bedroom vacation rental on beautiful Siesta Key. Just off Sarasota, Florida, Siesta Key Beach, consistently voted America's Best, is just 100 steps away. Whether you're watching the sunset over the Gulf of Mexico or frolicking in the warm surf, you and your family will fall in love with Siesta Key. Check us out at SiestaKeyRentalGenie.com or call Virginia at 941-266-1858. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc., we're talking about the name of God and the Second Commandment. Dr. Charles Geeshan is our guest. When we conclude our conversation with Dr. Geeshan, Dr. Scott Yenner joins us to discuss Planned Parenthood's control of the sex ed curriculum in public schools. And then William Estrada will round everything off discussing parental rights legislation in the U.S. Congress. Dr. Geeshan, where do we find God's name in the New Testament? Nowhere. And many places. (laughs) And the reason I say that is because there is no explicit use of the personal name of God, Yahweh, in the New Testament. It's not transliterated any place, and yet there are many implicit references to the divine name, to the personal name of God, all through the New Testament. And probably one of the, the ones that our readers are most familiar with is actually the baptismal formula. When Jesus at the end of Matthew says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the referent there is Christians sometimes think of the name being the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But those are three titles for God, the three persons of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are not the names of God. He has a singular name. So the best way to understand that phrase is, go and make disciples of all nations in the name that is shared by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father is Yahweh. The Son is Yahweh. The Holy Spirit is Yahweh. Jesus there is really unfolding the mystery of who Yahweh is by revealing that he is none other than the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The mystery of Yahweh really is unveiled through the Son. Why does God forbid the misuse of his name? Well, because of the close connection with his person. And how we use his name reflects our respect and our love or our disrespect and our lack of love for him who is the creator and who is our redeemer in our Lord Jesus Christ. 
So there's a close connection, just as we've talked about several times in, in this broadcast, between the person and the name. And it's not just some words. I can just roll them off my tongue. It's no big deal. These words, and I think not just of the personal name Yahweh, but other titles we use or other words we use for identifying the true God, when we misuse those words, it reflects our lack of love, our disrespect, our despising for him who is identified with that name or those titles. How does Martin Luther emphasize the positive use of God's name in his explanation to the second commandment? Yeah, with those such familiar and beautiful words that we are to pray, praise, and give thanks with that name. And I think that's one of the the vital things to bring out. You know, we've talked a bit about how Jews avoided using the name of God in fear that they would misuse it. Well, you know, one of the things Luther emphasizes is is using it properly. And that's what you've just identified as the positive use of it. And I think it really grows out of the fact that Luther worked a lot with the Psalms. And in the Psalms, there's so many times where that refrain comes up to offer praise to Yahweh, the Alleluia, or to, I know it's during Lent, but it makes this important theological point here to bring up the Alleluia or Hallelujah offering praise to God. And what Luther, really from his study of the Psalter, I think that really influenced these positive statements he makes about the importance of using the name of God in prayer. Psalms are so much filled with prayer. In praise, the Psalms are filled with praise and in thanksgiving, and Psalms are filled with thanksgiving. I also think one of the interesting things about the Christian use of the Psalter is how we include the Gloria Patri at the end. And the point that I make in the large catechism volume is that that probably was an earliest Christian practice was to make it clear that the God who is being praised in the Psalms, the God who identifies himself as Yahweh, is none other than Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we sing the Gloria Patri as Christians to make it clear that the Yahweh we are praising is the one who has revealed himself to be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit as we sing so frequently at the end of each psalm. Go into a little more detail. How is the right use of God's name related to divine worship? Yeah. You know, I think we've already talked a little bit about the invocation and the passage that you have in Matthew where two two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And I, I would say that we are clearly identifying our worship being given to the one and only true God by, right at the beginning of these services, invoking the name of the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I also think, you know, we've talked about how important uh, it is to use the baptismal formula that's given by our Lord Jesus, so clearly recorded by Matthew in chapter 28 of his gospel. You know, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name 
of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so the, the understanding of, one could say, real presence, God being present in salvation, in deliverance, is signaled right at the beginning of the worship service, right in the baptismal rite, and not just and only in the unique sacramental presence that we have and we celebrate so frequently at the Lord's table in the celebration of Holy Communion. One other point I might make is, you know, it's a very strong reference in the scriptures about how Jesus shares the divine name, but God has placed his name upon us. So I possess God's name because of baptism it was placed upon me. The book of Revelation is filled with imagery of the name being borne by the saints on their forehead. And that's a wonderful image of how God has joined himself to me in baptism. He is present with me because I am baptized and joined to him. If I have his name, I am joined to his very being. And that's a wonderful aspect of New Testament theology and one that gives a lot of comfort to to Christians uh, of God's presence each and every day as we remember our baptisms. What is the greatest way to hallow God's name? At the end of the article, I make this comment that although Luther doesn't explicitly talk about this in his explanation, he puts great emphasis on you know, the teaching of, of God's word and the like, and he obviously emphasizes prayer, praise, and giving thanks. But the fact that Jesus shares the divine name and is the ultimate revelation of who this mysterious God, Yahweh, is, I would say the greatest way to hallow or honor God's name, as Jesus calls us to do in the second petition of the Lord's Prayer, is to confess Jesus as Lord, as none other than Yahweh, and to worship him as Lord, as none other than Yahweh, the one God. And Jesus, even in his um, teaching, speaks about the fact that he shares the name of the Father. And a big part of his work, and this is in John 17, the, the farewell prayer of Jesus, a big part of his work is to reveal who Yahweh is. And in Jesus, we know the one God. We know Yahweh fully in the Son incarnate. Dr. Charles Geeshan is provost and professor of New Testament at Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. He's author of an essay in Luther's Large Catechism with Annotations and Contemporary Applications titled The Second Commandment and The Divine Name. Concordia Theological Seminary forms servants in Jesus Christ who teach the faithful, reach the lost, and care for all. Find out about studying for the vocations of pastor or deaconess or pursuing a Ph.D. at ctsfw.edu or by calling 1-800-481-2155, Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Dr. Gieshen, thanks. You are very welcome. Great to be with you. Dr. Scott Yenner joins us on the other side of the break. We'll discuss how Planned Parenthood controls the sex ed curriculum from beginning to end in our public schools.
When defending a biblical doctrine or practice, have you ever been accused of not caring for the lost? I've written a column in the latest Issues Etc. journal titled Playing the Mission Card. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Jeremy Lamont recounts his slow and sometimes painful path out of Mormonism to the Lutheran Confession. The free online Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org. The Lutheran Church Missouri Synod cares deeply for those who protect our nation. Are you or a loved one currently serving? Ministry to the Armed Forces would like to help. We provide devotional literature to encourage faith. Send your mailing address to lcmschaps at lcms.org or call us at 314-996-1337. Those in uniform are comforted with Psalm 28. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him and He helps me. Christological, Creedal, Confessional. You're listening to Issues Etc. With the war on chocolate that's been happening around us lately, it's time to change up our Easter gift giving. And Ad Crucem has a solution. We have hundreds of beautiful wares to enhance your and your loved one's devotions. See our prayer beads, icons, wooden plaques, incense burners, and of course, our beautiful new chancel culture mugs and swag. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. Come and experience firsthand by sitting down in classes and actually hearing professors. Coming to chapel, which is always the high point of the day to hear the Word of God and to lift our voices in song. Issues Etc. regular guest Dr. Paul Grimm on why you should consider visiting Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, Indiana. Spend time talking to professors. I mean, there's not a professor here who will not be willing to, to take time, whether it's after chapel during the coffee hour or just to come into one's study and, and sit down and talk for a while, to answer questions, to you know, help them to get a sense of, A, you know, do they want to be a pastor or a deaconess? And then B, is this the right place? And well, maybe C would be the question, is now the right time for them to make that decision? If you've contemplated the vocation of pastor or deaconess, contact Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana, 1-800-481-2155, 800-481-2155, or send an email to admission at ctsfw.edu.